What is going on, everybody? You are listening to the J Red Show on Anchor and Spotify. Tonight is the NFL draft, but first we have some news on the NHL draft. Last night, the Dallas Stars blew a three nothing series, three nothing lead to the Arizona Coyotes, and they lost in the shootout. But because the game went into overtime, they got one more point, and the Vegas and the and and Jack Eichel and the Vegas Golden Knights are eliminated from the playoffs. And because of that, the Buffalo Sabers will pick a will have a top ten draft pick, unless the Golden Knights win the the, the draft lottery. What's crazy about Jack Eichel is that he looks like a, sh- a shadow of his former self. He has no speed and little finish. I don't know if it's the time off or his neck's not right or the central focus was he was here, but he has not looked anywhere close to what he once was. He was not impactful enough for how well the Knights had appeared on the ice. He does have next-level talent, but his decision-making wasn't always there. And at times, he didn't look motivated enough, especially in the playoff push. He's he, he, The more grim the playoff push got, the more pouty and laxatile Eichel became. He is supposed to be a superstar. You can't be a superstar if you aren't driven to succeed and overcome adversity. You can't win on talent alone. I'm starting to see that Eichel hasn't found that champion's drive and spirit. And Vegas has really shown the frustration with Jack Eichel that Sabres fans have had with him for the last six, for the last seven years. I mean, I think about the entire Eichel era of Sabres hockey and how it went so wrong. Yes, the Pagulas and the and the general managers they hired was a huge reason for it. They made terrible decisions. They made terrible trades. The Pagulas meddled too much. And that's a huge reason why the Sabres are going on have missed the playoffs 11 years in a row. However, when you have a, tal- a, a talent as good as Jack Eichel, the Sabres really should have been better than that. It is amazing that in those seven years, they have the Sabres have not even come close to the playoffs. In the four years before Jack Eichel, 2012, the Sabres were close to the playoffs. 2013 was only half a season. And then late in that season, Darcy Regeer decided to go through the suffering and the tank. And then 2014-2015, the Sabres were supposed to be bad. So it makes you wonder, how much of a problem was Jack Eichel? How much better would the last seven years of Sabres hockey would have been if they had gotten Connor McDavid instead of Jack Eichel? Maybe it's not much better, but 
I guess, and we'll, and we'll never know, really. But Eichel has got to be one of the most disappointing players in the history of the NHL. He is a great talent. But I really think his ego, his attitude is holding teams down. It held down the Sabres, and now it's holding down the Vegas Golden Knights. While it's too early to say that the Buffalo Sabres definitively won that trade, because we saw with Tage Thompson and Ryan O'Reilly, it looked like we got the Sabres got burned on the that trade until this year. But anyhow, the Sabres are clearly winning the Eichel trade. In the last two months, they are 15-8-3. That would be a 90, uh, somewhere between a 90 to 100 point pace over an 82 game season. If they could duplicate that all of next year, they will finally, re- they could finally return to the playoffs and end this 11 year drought. As I said on past shows, that that's cut. I think they could do it, but it's kind of a long stretch. It's kind of a stretch to expect them to do that. At the very least, they should have meaningful games in April. Have a season that's not over by Thanksgiving. It cannot be understated how huge of a shift the Sabres have undergone in 13 months. Ever since Kevin Adams went to Florida and told the Pagulas that Ralph Kruger needed to be canned, a culture change was needed, and a fundamental rebuild would take place. I think most everyone here thought there was no low this team couldn't reach. But for once, there was no magic band-aid or hope tanks or reaching for the next coach or player that would save them. Just a fundamental shift in culture with a true hockey coach that knows how to get players to believe in themselves and play their abilities, and players that just want to be challenged as part of the team. It's sad to see the season end, especially considering Rick Jenneretta's retiring, but it is. But I am very optimistic for the future, and hoping that sometime within the next year or two, we will finally see playoff hockey back in Buffalo. Tonight, the Buffalo Sabres will be playing um, the Boston Bruins. And then tomorrow, we got they got the Chicago Blackhawks in what's going to be Rick Jenneret's final game. So that's really sad. I mean, it feels like a, a huge part of my childhood is dot. Another part of my childhood is dying. And really is sad that it looks like the Sabres are going to... Um, just as the Sabres are finally starting to turn things around, he retires. Although, one thing about this year that did disappoint me is the Rochester Americans, who are in serious... Di- I came into this Amherst season with high expectations. I thought this is the best, on paper, this is the best Amherst team they have had... Since the mid-2000s. I thought this team had the talent. To win a playoff series. For the for the first time since 2005. 
But voila, but they are in danger of missing the playoffs. They need Toronto to lose tonight and tomorrow and then beat Utica on Friday. So where did this season go wrong? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Um, injuries is the biggest one. Just too many injuries, too many call-ups. The Amherst couldn't have to sustain any positive momentum um, as the season went on. Ukapekalukadin has been very disappointing. He's had his moments, but he has not developed the way I thought I was hoping he would develop. I mean, we talk about reasons for optimism and why Sabres fans should be optimistic about next year. Two big reasons to be pessimistic is one, the is the tough division, the playoff format, and you're basically the Sabres fans are basically hoping for a down year from either Florida, Tampa Bay, Toronto, or Boston, and then hope Detroit doesn't get too far ahead. And then two, who's going to be their goalie? How much longer can they rely on a 40-year-old Craig Anderson? Ukupeka look at it as a 330 goals against average, an 899 save percentage, 14-14 and 6. <coughs> that isn't going to cut it. The defense wasn't very good. I mean, some of this was not Adams and Carmanos' fault, but I thought they were way too slow in improving the defense. And they didn't do enough in the regular season to um, improve the defense. I mean, this has got to be the most disappointing season in the history of the Amherst. Because for the Sabres, this year felt like 1996 and 2004. Two years where they where the Sabres finished, where the Sabres missed the playoffs, but finished strong. Two years where Sabres fans are like, okay, this year stunk, but something is coming. Something special is coming. The difference is, in 1996, the Amherst won the call to cup. In 2004, the Amherst got to the conference finals. This year, they didn't even make it at all. Well, they're, they're, they, they, could, they could still do it, but they need a lot to go right. And if they do make it, I don't like their chances of winning in the first round. So, very disappointing season. A huge bummer in what was an otherwise very exciting um, Sabre season. But now we go from the ice to the field. Time talk, to talk, talk about tonight's NFL draft. The Buffalo Bills picking 25th overall. Right now, there's a debate. The top two positions that could be addressed for the Bills is either cornerback or running back. I'd also be, be okay with a tight end or a wide receiver. Right now, a lot of experts are thinking that they'll draft um, Brees Hall from Iowa State. If they draft Hall, I won't be upset. But the way, with the way Singletary played when he finally got a chance to be their lead back, I'm not sure a rookie would do any better. I just feel that it will be better off taking a cornerback, wide receiver, or offensive line. You can never have enough quality or depth at those positions.
But there is really nothing Brandon Bean could do to really piss me off or really piss any Bills fan off. He has done a great job plugging the holes and addressing the weaknesses on this team. The Buffalo Bills are, and I think when the day is over, will be on paper the odds-on favorite to win the NFL. They are on paper the best team in the NFL. I was ta- listening to the radio and talking about what positions worry you, what positions concern you, what do you think needs to be addressed. Well, roster-wise, there is really not not much. I really can't think of anything that really needs to be improved. I mean, I am not concerned at all with this roster. My concerns is just because the Buffalo Bills are on paper the best team in the NFL doesn't mean they're 100% guaranteed to win the Super Bowl. I'm concerned about injuries. I'm concerned about COVID. I know Dr. Fauci just said that the pandemic phase is pretty much over with. But I don't know. This COVID could still be a problem for years to come. And I'm concerned about coaching decisions. Last year, the Buffalo Bills were 13 seconds away from going to the AFC Championship game. And we could argue whether or not they would have beaten Cincinnati and Los Angeles to win the Super Bowl. But a poor coaching blunder cost them the game. And when and if most likely the Bills get back to the playoffs... Bean and McDermott and Frazier and Ken Dorsey need to be smarter. <coughs> so I'm very excited for tonight. I'm very excited for this season. And now I'll do a quick little NFL mock draft. Most people are expecting Traven Walker to um, be the first overall pick to Jacksonville. I know Aiden Hutchinson could end up in the selection here. But signs are pointing towards Walker being the pick. I think Aiden Hutchinson goes to Detroit because, I mean, he's from Michigan, so it's a local connection. Um, Houston needs to improve their offensive line, so I think they'll get Ike Ikurano. On to the two New York teams, the top five. I think the Jets get Sauce Garner, the cornerback. He has an elite mix of size, length, and ball skills. This is going to be my, a bold take, but I think the Giants are going to trade their 7th overall pick to um, to the 49ers and get um, Debo Samuels. With the 5th pick, I think the Giants get Evan Neal. Um, the Giants could go with Kevin Theaters here, but pairing Neal with Andrew Thomas gives them a solid young tackle duo to better protect Daniel Jones. I think Carolina gets Charles Cross. I can see the path of trade a future pick to move ahead of the Giants and select Neal. I think Atlanta needs will get Jameis Williams. Jameson Williams. They need uh, the Falcons can afford to be patient with Williams as he works his way back from the, the ACL Terry suffered from the national championship game. He would be a great combination with Kyle Pitts. I think Seattle will try to improve their edge rusher by getting Kayvon Theobix. 
I envision this is a tough one though. I envision three players being in the play in this scenario: Theodox Stingley or Willis. I can't see Pete Carroll passing out a talented edge rusher after trading back in that's the pick that CL initially sent to the Jets. I think Washington gets um, Chris Olav from from, from um, a wide receiver. I think Minnesota gets uh, Derek Stanley Jr., Houston Jermaine Johnson, Baltimore Jordan Davis, Philadelphia. I think we'll get Kyle Hamilton. Let's talk about, let's talk, I'm going to go more into detail. I think Houston gets Johnson. Johnson is a perfect fit if if in head coach's Lovey Smith scheme. He can rack up 8 to 10 sacks a game. Uh, Baltimore against Jordan Davis. I know this pick won't fill one of the most pressing needs for the Ravens, but they always lean toward dressing the best player available. Um, I think New Orleans gets Trevor Penning. Penning would take over the left tackle position as a rookie for the Saints. He'll need some time to adjust the NFL level, but he has all the raw tools necessary to succeed. Carol Elam will go to Los Angeles Chargers. The Chargers have done an impressive job in remaking their defense this offseason. Elam has some ups and downs on the tape, but he offers outstanding side speed and upside. I think Philadelphia gets McDuffie, Trent McDuffie. He's one of my favorite players in the draft class. He's smart, tough, and distinctive. I think New Orleans gets Devin Lloyd. Lloyd didn't run as fast as the elevators hoped, evaluators hoped, but he plays with an outstanding vision and aggression. The Saints could use that Utah project of Verdi Rays as he learns from the job from Demario Davis. I think Pittsburgh gets Kenny Pickett. Steelers should know everything there is to know about Pickett, the former Pitt star. He could come up to and compete with Mitch Trubisky. I think New England gets an interior eye lineman, uh, Zayn Johnson, to help protect um, Mac Jones. I think Traylon Burks goes to Green Bay. The Packers, Aaron Rodgers desperately needs a first-round rideout. Burks has size and his run-catch abilities they said could always come out of Green Bay. I think Arizona gets George Califitz. The Cardinals need to address a pass rush in this draft. Califitz can win on the edge. Dallas, I think we'll get Jahan Dotson. Dotson is the best hands of the draft. Tennessee gets Tyler Smith. The Titans have been mentioned as a sleeper to the quarterback in round one. I believe they are more likely to take an offensive lineman here or the first of the trade. Tampa Bay, I think they'll get Logan Hall. The Bucks are another team that could look out to trade out of the first round. They don't have any glaring needs, but Hall would be a fun interior pass rush addition. Right, for tw- the 28th pick, I think Green Bay gets Quay Walker. Walker could go much earlier than 28th overall. Defensive coaches are in love with explosiveness. Boyle, Meth, the- Kansas City has the next two picks. Boyle, Meth to 29, and George Pickens at 30. The Chiefs could easily package picks to move up and over for a wideout. If they stay here, I expect one of their first round selections is just a pass rush. And pick and for Pickens, he has tremendous raw talent, but battles some injuries as the question marks. Andy Reid and Brett Veach can afford to take a risk in a gamble like this. Cincinnati, I think we'll get the David Ojabu. It just feels like a foot go it just feels like a good fit. Ojabu, who suffered an Achilles tear at Michigan's pro day, will likely be healthy in time to help Cincinnati in the postseason. And how the Bengals have always had infinity for Big Ten prospects. Finally, the 32 pick from the Detroit Lions, uh, Malik Willis. I just see Willis going. This range is a great example of what can be certain about this draft. Absolutely nothing.
So what are your thoughts? Hit me on Twitter at JRedShow. On to lacrosse. Uh, on to other sports. The Buffalo Bandits have clinched the first overall pick. Oh, first of all, the Buffalo Bandits have clinched the number one seed in the NLL. They'll have home field advantage throughout the home turf advantage throughout the playoffs. They are just in, they're in the same spot as the Buffalo Bills. On paper, the Bandits are the best team in the National Lacrosse League. Just like the Bills, this is arguably the best team they've ever had. But being number one doesn't always guarantee a championship. That's why they play the games. In the NBA, the Lakers and the Nets enter this season with the top two odds to win the NBA championship. But they've won a grand total of zero playoff games. More specifically, the Nets got swept by the Celtics, and the um, and the Nets got swept by. More specifically, the Nets got swept by the Celtics, and the Lakers missed entirely. It's pretty crazy how these two super teams became a super disaster. With the Lakers, we already went through what happened with um, Russell Tom- Russell Westbrook which will go down as one of the worst trades in Lakers history and how it, it just completely ruined the chemistry. But now we talk about how the the Nets season went into flames. It started with Kyrie Irving refusing to get the COVID vaccine at the start of the Nets season. But the Nets should really learn from the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks scrapped on contender, refused to rebuild, and then turned out great. By the time Irving was finally allowed to be a full-time player, James Harden was forced his way out of town, and the roster around Durant and Kyrie looked completely different. Irving's refusal to jab at the beginning was the end for Brooklyn. Somehow, a star refusing to get the vaccine against a deadly global pandemic was only the tip of the iceberg for how weird this net season went. And speaking of which, James Harden forcing his way out also contributed to it. What a disappointing season this was. Ben Simmons couldn't get on the trade deadline after the... Um, we saw Joe Harris got injured, and they never looked like the preseason contender um, that we all they thought we thought they were throughout the regular season. Brooklyn's highest over under win total in any team was at fifty six point five, and they only won forty four games. Boston focused its top rate defense on shutting down Durant, and the result was one of the worst series in the Star Force career. Durant averaged twenty six point three points per game, three six point three assists. And 5.8 rebounds for the series, but only shot 38.6% from the field and 33.3% from the three, also averaged 5.3 turnovers of the game. The issue with the supporting cast around the two stars was apparent. Brooklyn was running three or four small guards on the floor most of the series. The Celtics easily picked smaller and weaker defenders when they had the ball. Brooklyn's defense had no answers for Jason Tatum, and Brooklyn's offense could never solve what Boston was throwing at them. The Nets need more size and more shooting next season. Durant's about to turn 34 years old. We still don't know what Simmons looks like when he eventually returns to the court. Ultimately, the Nets have the biggest failure of the season. A disaster that even that's worse than the Lakers, even though they made the playoffs and the Lakers didn't. Would the Nets be in a better place today if they had Jared Allen, Chris LeVert, and Kenny Atkinson along with the healthy Joe, Joe Harris? 
Now, it's not entirely Kyrie's fault. Durant played scared and poorly for three straight games. Harden has been mediocre, extremely poor efficiency. I know I have no idea what's going on with Simmons, but he probably shouldn't be in the NBA contract at this point. Finally, we go across the pond to in, to um in, to English soccer and European soccer, and where all eyes are on England, as Liverpool and Manchester Manchester City is one point ahead of Liverpool in the Premier League, but it also but also in the Champions League, they are both leading their aggregates, and it looks like they could be in the. In the Champions League Finals, Manchester City defeated Real Madrid four to three, and Liverpool and Liverpool beat Varela two to nothing. Madrid overcame Chelsea in the quarters despite a valiant comeback at the Benabee's eternal talisman. Karim Benzema launched his team in the semis. City took on the half of Madrid, Atletico Madrid in the quarterfinal, getting the job done home before surviving a pretty scrappy affair in Spain. Real Madrid. Manchester City got two goals real quickly, but uh, Real Madrid and they had a chance to put away Real Madrid, but Madrid kept it close. Um, Liverpool taking on the Cinderella team in Varelia, but Liver even though the score was only two nothing, Liverpool beat them pretty easily. Varelia did not generate much offense, and Liverpool um. Pretty much dominated the whole game. Dominated shots, just dominated time of possession, just dominated everything. And now Liverpool is trying to go for the first ever English quadruple. The the winners of the Caribou Cup, the FA Cup, the Premier League, and the Champions League. There were moments in this Fiesta game where you felt consistently tested the structural integrity of Unai Emery's battlements might leave Liverpool with a few sore heads. Though at the given that an eventual breakthrough came, the fa- the Liverpool fans still might have a few things to overcome and celebrate. It was never going to be an easy for for a moment early in the second half, just as Fabio's goal celebration was cut short for a Virgil Van Dirk offside. You might have just convinced yourself that the rubbing of the green was going to favor the side of the Valencia. Paulo Torres, Gerald Rilla, and company delivered a masterclass in defensive football and pre- precious little else. Unfortunately for Emery and company, they would eventually run into a harsh reminder that when you pack your penalty area and instruct your defenders to throw themselves at everything that moves, they might send the ball flying in every, in very much the opposite direction. You cannot fault Pervis Espinon for his commitment to charging to Jordan Henderson as the Liverpool captain shaped, shaped across. He did everything he could ask. He even put his arms behind his back to mitigate any against any penalty. The cross was only ever going to hit this left boot. It was just going to end that occasion. He rolled up in his leg and rolled towards Enfield. Rolled liquid agonized over something Gerald Rula. Varela was shell-shocked. If they were going to be undone, it would have taken a moment of magic for Liverpool's ready to attack a shirt. Varela's reward for 50-plus minutes of opportunity and defensive excellence is now a two-goal lead at Tova Hall next week. And I really don't think they're going to do it. For much of the match, Liverpool could steal the ball back as high up as the pitch as they might like, pushing their center backs right up to the foul third. But they would still run into the same 8 or 9 t- 10 defensive strong line. Any gaps to exploit between the defensive line were purely theoretical. Nowhere near sizable enough to fit a professional athlete through. 
They came with the cost of Verelia, scarcely offering any threat on the counter. Once or twice, Arnott Dimash might hopefully chase the ball in behind, only to find himself tasked with being Liverpool's own defense zone. On his own, Giorno Low Kessel hooked a long, narrow pass in the stands. It would have been the only shot Verelia had until the game was long gone. So, what are your thoughts on that? Hit me on Twitter at JRedShow. Oh, before I leave, I want to say happy birthday to my friend to Robert Snyder. You can follow him on Let's Talk 716, and I will see you later.